Hey everybody, today I want to talk about everything that goes into creating comics. Because it's never just about putting out a good story. I mean, sure, that's a part of it, but the emotions, opinions and experiences of the creators always find their way onto the page. And comics are all the better for it. Some of the best books I've ever read are ones that evoke the raw honesty and vulnerability of the people that poured their heart and soul into the project. As much as the life experiences of a creator can guide the creation of a comic, often the creative process itself can influence and change its creator. Being in the public eye, for example, can greatly affect a person, and especially in the modern age of social media, the line between a creator and their audience has never been thinner. When you create a piece of work that's honest, that resonates with a lot of people. You gather a following, and that can often be a blessing and a curse. When you started out just wanting to create the things you love, how do you deal with everything that comes with it? I'm Matt Loom, and today on the show, I'm joined by Mags Versaggio to discuss her career, her influences, and dealing with the fame monster. This is That's the Issue. I'm Magdalene Visaggio. I'm uh, the writer and creator of Kim and Kim, um, Eternity Girl, um, and uh, the forthcoming Marilyn Manor, uh, amongst many other things. Welcome to the show. There are like, I, I think there's a lot of projects coming out from you at the moment. I Since we started talking about a month ago about um, your, um, about joining me on the show, uh, since then, it felt like every week there was a new announcement of something coming out from you. Um, I, I'm going to see I if I can... Track. Like, I'm yeah. sitting here and I'm like, what's coming out? What am I, I working on right now? I know. I, well, that I mean, that was kind of going to be like the, the gist of my question, really. I was just going to... I'm going to list them and see if I see if I can get them all and see if you can think of anything else. So we've got Marion yeah, this is going uh... to be pretty, pretty hit or miss on my end. I just have <laughs> yeah. a spreadsheet that says this is what you're writing this week. And then I reread the previous issue, go over my outline and move forward. That, well, that was it really. Cause there's so, there's, you've got quite a lot of like plates spinning in the air at any one time. Do you, how good are you at kind of planning your time, like organizing your calendar? Um, I'd like to think I've gotten quite good at it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty uh, reliable <clears throat> about knocking about uh, a 20 to 24 page script every week which basically means I'm like really regimented in my writing time. So like I always make sure I'm getting out at least five pages a day. I didn't today because I forgot to bring my laptop on the train and I don't have time to do it tonight. So tomorrow's going to suck. But <laughs> tomorrow's going to be extra long. Maybe 10 pages in one day. I can do it, but it's, that's. Yeah. It's not something you want to kind of do every day. Is it um, so like you, if you crank out like five pages a day, is that, are you working on one issue per week then? Or do you kind of hop, jump and change between different yeah, series? No, I don't like to, I don't like to hop around because I find mm. that, um, I find it very difficult to jump tracks and still keep my head straight. I like, so I, I, I'm not like one of those people who's like, I'll write the easy pages first or, you know, the scene that I'm excited about first. I want to tell the story in order because then I'm experiencing emotions. Yeah, yeah. Um, alongside everything else and it also i feel like gives me more control over how i escalate uh the tension over time i'm really methodical i like i just like to have a a, a lot of control over over my pages well you've got like so marilyn manners coming out obviously with uh, with marley that we'll talk about uh you've got dr mirage coming out with uh, nick robles uh, for valiant um teenage wasteland returned on comics Hollywood originals uh with jen bourne um Strange Lands was announced uh, for Humanoids uh, with Darcy Little Badger and Vanessa R. Del Rey. Um, you're doing an Acts of Evil annual um, with John Lim uh, for Marvel, which is uh, Ms. Marvel versus the Super Scroll. Um, and also one that's tangentially related to you um, is, uh, is, but not something you'd be, I imagine you're working on constantly, but, uh, but Vagrant Queen was picked up by Sci-Fi uh, for a 10-issue TV series. Not that yeah, but that's, that's wild though. How exciting is that? Well, that was that was insane. That process was so absurdly quick. Like this wasn't like a long drawn out thing. <clears throat> I first heard that uh, 
that this was happening in November of last year. And by that point, there was already a pilot written and sci-fi was already um, heavily involved, even mm. though they hadn't uh, agreed to purchase the show yet. Wow, that's insane. This thing, basically what happened was the, the showrunner, Jem Garrard, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Mm. <clears throat> um, I haven't like spoken to her like verbally. We've just messaged each other and emailed. She just was a fan of the book and just hammered out a pilot script on her own with, you know, nobody asked her to do it. And she went to sci-fi and said, here's this book, here's this pilot, I want to make this show. And she already had this good established relation with sci-fi, so like they took they took a look at it. And oh my God, I when I first got to read it, I was I was stunned with the quality of that script. Wow. It's very weird reading something and you're like, that sounds like something I wrote, and then you check and it wasn't. <laughs> so mm. she's captured it all, like perfectly she then. She nailed it. Yeah. Nailed yeah. It. That's amazing. And I, since then, I've read the first four episodes, and mm. this show is going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, something you can kind of really, like, really be proud of as an ad- adaptation of your work, kind of thing. I mean, there's, a, there's a significant changes. They have a lot more space than I had. Mm. Six twenty-two page comics versus ten forty-four minute episodes. Yeah, it is. That is much bigger space and so they've they've expanded it out added characters changed some things but it's extremely true to the story it's i mean it's it's exciting it's one of those things that i'm i'm always of the of the mindset of they're two different things you know so there's there's if someone goes into something i think where a lot of adaptations fall down is where they're they're too strict or too strictly faithful or they're just too wildly different i think there's i think adaptations are getting more and more savvy as as the years go on because i think people understand that they're going to be wildly like kind of they're very two different mediums but also the, the fans that migrate from one to the other in in both directions really are going to want to see and feel that same experience you know in a, even in its in a in a broader sense than the actual specifics yeah and i think the show has really nailed that which uh really excites me because i hope i don't expect but i hope this translates into more readers for the book and i like to think that there's enough that the, the that they have in common in terms of their attitude, in terms of <clears throat> the world they're set in, hmm. um, in terms of the kinds of stories that we're telling. Yeah, yeah. That uh, a fan of one could easily be a fan of the other. I think that's that's the beauty of having an adaptation as well that is is happy to go in its own direction to a certain degree because you if you want to experience both then you'll get a very different uh kind of different adventure that you'll go on and you'll learn something different about the characters whichever one you you lean on um but the the fact that they've got that core uh similarity or core kind of essence to them running through them i think that's that's going to be exciting as well really it's actually it's really interesting because they added a new main character um because the cast was small because i like working with small casts Hmm. um I find having like a lot of people to keep track of very frustrating. So I tend to stick to between two and four people for characters that I'm giving a shit about personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love writing duos, but they wanted to add a, a third person to like the, to, to the main dynamic, the main group of heroes. And since I'm currently writing volume two, which is, I'm writing with the with the knowledge that there is an extremely good chance that this will be adapted into season two, although there's no guarantee of that. Mm. Um, I had to like create space for this other character, although I'm I can't use her for licensing reasons. Right, right. Um, um, I wanted to make sure that there was room for her if this gets adapted. I wanted to build a story around an additional character. That's in, that's fascinating. That sounds like almost impossible to try and like tread that we'll line. See. <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm not writing the new character yeah um like it's not the same person but i i just wanted to create more roles mm. that need to be filled well that's yeah that's fascinating so I'm, I'm really excited for that when is that coming out the tv series oh 
I think early next year. Yeah. I'm not sure there's an official date yet. No, I think that that tracks with if the fact that they've written the first four episodes and they're you know they're, they're yeah and starts filming. filming like in ten days, so there's no way they're getting out much before the new year. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But uh, but yeah, that's exciting to look forward to. Um, so mm-hmm. as this episode goes up, um, Marilyn Manor will be out tomorrow. Um, so it's the four-part miniseries um, coming out from IDW uh, Black Crown. Um, so, I mean, firstly, what was it like working with Shelley Bond as an editor? Um, I love Shelley. I love Shelley so much. She's brilliant. I think Shelley's one of those kind of, you have, you either get her or you don't editors. Mm. Um, like I know people who have had, you know, experiences they didn't enjoy with her. But uh, she and I click. I think we're both very similar people. And we're both enthusiastic and energetic about the work we're doing. And what I think is really critical is I'm not, I'm not saying this is like a, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not precious about my writing. Hmm. I used to be, but I, I, uh, let me tell you a little bit about the, the process for Marilyn Manor. Yeah. I have the first issue. I wrote four entirely different versions of it. Wow. The second issue, I wrote four entirely different versions of it because this is a really complicated book. Hmm. And that's what's so great about Shelley and I guess about I guess about us as a team, <clears throat> why I think we work so well together is we're we're both like after the same like like perfect vibe. We both wanted to just land exactly right. Um, and this story was something that was very exploratory. The, the first draft is wildly different from what the, the book eventually became because Shelley came to me with the concept of party at the White House, mm. you know, and I sort of blew it up into this thing. But where I, where I first started was with like sort of 80s and 90s, you know, kids take over screwball comedy movies. Mm. And the book is 100% not that, but I had to write that version of it to see how much it wasn't working. And I wrote three issues of that version of the book before, <laughs> before, before we were like, we, we sat down at uh, San Diego Comic-Con last year <clears throat> and we're like, this isn't working. Yeah. And like, no. And she's like, I have some ideas on how to fix that. I'm like, let's not worry about fixing it. Let's just start again. Mm. And I think that we both have this sort of, uh, at this point, really innate trust in each other that we know that the other person is bringing everything they can to this book. Yeah. That's wild. And uh, I think that's shown like, but seriously, like the, the gestation period for this thing has been, has been just ridiculous. I've been work. I, I wrote this book, this four issue miniseries for over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. So at, at this point it's what, uh, it's a 10 parter for you, for you almost because you've written like 10 issues yeah, worth. I've written, I've written 10 issues of this first few minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, what's the, what was the differences between those? Like, so the, so the first four issues, first four versions of issue one, what, what were the, was it the same core story with different, from different genres or different angles or? Not, not, not. So, they were all the White House mm. party thing. Yeah. That was the core idea. But the first one was very much about, antics at the party that the, and it was like just trying to figure there were there was a larger core cast and and um <clears throat> there was this whole gonna be this whole thing where Marilyn got sort of locked out of the white house with a bunch of people who got kicked out of the party and they had to sort of force their way back in and it was very narratively to me it felt very it felt too tight mm. like it was strained Right. trying to trying to keep everything in and it was very much bam 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 a to b to c and um that wasn't satisfying to me as a writer it wasn't satisfied to shelly as a reader or an editor and after three shows i was like i don't like this anymore hmm. and uh i wrote like a whole new treatment of it in which i basically was like i basically was like i'm gonna assume that i'm back at square one what are the the themes in this idea that I find really interesting? Let's assume that none of the the, the the work that I had done to date had happened. And I started picking it apart and thinking about, well, why is Marilyn doing any of this? What's what is this book about? And the second version was we were getting closer. The second version 
was a story about a fear of growing up and it became about the party as a kind of analogical fountain of youth like this like one last hurrah before she went off to the to be an adult hmm. um and that wasn't landing either there's still some fossils of that in the book but i from there the book really became an examination of honestly <clears throat> the social media era, even though it's set in the early 80s. It's a book about attention. It's about wanting, craving attention mm. and for people to notice and remember you. It's about cultivating a personal brand and it's about ultimately being eaten by that. It's about, uh, in a lot of ways, it's about self-annihilation. <clears throat> it's Because you know how like all these legends of the 20th century are people who died young. Yeah. You know, and so the book is filled with these iconic figures who are famous in a lot of ways for dying. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, Marilyn Monroe. Um, those images, and Marilyn Monroe was something that like Shelley really was like pushing on me and I was resistant to. The thematic relationship between Marilyn Kelleher, our main character, and Marilyn Monroe became absolutely central to what the book's about. It's about the way fame eats us mm. and we often don't know that it's doing it is that why you is that why shelley was so insistent or kind of pushing the marilyn monroe comparison do you think no that's something that we were figuring out together she the worst what's really interesting about shelley is shelley will fixate on an image or a, a a scene idea and then just be like i think this needs to be in there she'll be like sensing something yeah She'll she'll be like picking up something in the alchemy of what the story is, and will the two of us together will we figure out what that image means, how this clicks, and that's something that I've been doing more and more, in just in developing my own stories. I have a thing right now I'm working on, where I just have this image of like a, a dive bar singer in a red dress, hmm. and. I don't know how that's going to fit into it, but I'm going to make it fit into that. It's, yes, I mean, writing four four different versions of it, like it, it sounded at first as though like it's just like, right, I'm going to write four different ones and we'll pick which one. But it, it, it more now sounds like it's kind of the, the what you think of as the story or what, you know, what the, the core themes of it evolved over time to the point where it kind of demanded you, you rewrite it and yeah. kind of and develop it more into and refine it almost. Yeah, and what was really clear to me, uh, actually I should say what was really clear to Shelley was that the first version especially wasn't even doing the work that the right. pitch promised. Like, there were just these elements in the original story that I had, in the original, just like me roughing out, here's something I want to do, that I'd let fall completely by the wayside. Elements of, of uh, altered perception. We had always wanted to bring in... Uh, music video aesthetics mm. and none of that was there really what helped the book click for me a lot was i started listening to a like a new wave playlist while i was right. working on it that really like communicated to me the vibe that this needed to land like i was like well if this is what the soundtrack to this movie is you know the movie that's playing in my mind then this needs to be a much wilder kind of story and like, honestly, I am more and more as a writer really interested in, like, structurally experimental stuff and, and dealing with, like, complicated themes in really abstract ways. And just realizing that I had the freedom to do that because I had the support of someone who had worked with Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman and Peter Milligan doing when they were doing that same kind of work. Yeah, yeah. Really was like, oh, I can go whole hog and and just make this the most self indulgent bullshit I've ever made. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because she will, she'll pull it out of that. Yeah, she will help me clarify and refine it. What matters right now is if I just just fart all over the page, mm. you know, and just do all the stuff that all the all the weird, crazy stuff, whatever. Not quite whatever weird idea pops into my head, but. Uh, really trusting that if I jumped off this cliff, someone was going to catch me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so liberating as a writer. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's got that, you mm -hmm. know, pedigree as well behind her. Like she, as you say, she's dealt with, she's dealt with weird, you know, so she, she knows, she knows how 
to how far these things can go and how far you know the the she knows where the boundaries are to the point where almost you don't need to care about them you know you can just throw everything out there so just to contrast that with eternity girl which is right now my other really fucking weird book (laughs) um eternity girl was i i was given just an immense amount of liberty on eternity girl and there wasn't a lot of editorial pushback but there also wasn't a lot of editorial guidance and there's some areas where i think the book could have been a little tighter uh, a little bit more a little bit less unnecessarily obtuse because i was playing with the comics medium in ways that were new to me mm. and i think working with shelly was just such a great contrast to that um, and so I kind of got to do it both ways. I got to do the thing that was all me. And I got to do the thing that was really a result of this really intense collaboration. That's the, the great thing about Shelly is she's so involved. She's not, she's not like fiddling with the book. She's poking you and being like, let's talk about these ideas in the book. Mm-hmm. And she's not being like, change this to this. It's just that we'll like, okay, she would read the book. She'd read my script. And then we would, within a couple of days of getting her initial notes back, we'd hop on Skype together and just chat about the story for two hours. And it wasn't like, well, let's examine problems. It was just, we're going to talk about what is strong about this book and what is weak about this book, and then discuss any ideas that pop into our head along the way. And at the end of like every one of those calls, I knew what the, I knew what the next version of this needed to be. Mm. And by the time... I'd gotten to issue three, that didn't need to happen anymore. But the two of us spent, seriously, eight issues worth of time hammering out exactly what this complex, dense little project was. And her love for, one her love for comics is absolutely infectious. Her enthusiasm, her commitment to the work of it is is so strong. It's, it's really inspiring. It's genuinely been one of the probably this book has probably been the most the single most cre you know creatively fulfilling project of my life wow do you feel like you could have like it ended up being a four issue miniseries do you, do you feel like it was a concept that was was perfectly filled out in those four issues or is it something that you feel as though you can you could write more of you can explore the space a lot more with um, I would have liked to have six issues and only because I, I'm just more comfortable with that space. I think for the amount of space we had, this is the best version of this book possible. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 um, in order just to contain everything we wanted to go in this book, it moves a little more briskly than I might have liked, but that's just a four issue series. Yeah. That's just the limitations of, of that format. Yeah, I think that's 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 a benefit as well. You know, I, I imagine it's quite a challenge to try and condense these ideas into four issues. Um, but at the same time, it's there's an art to it, isn't there, to kind of capturing that story in you know in the time frame that you need to to time it. And I suppose that's a lot of that is down to to Shelley's editing as well. I imagine. Yeah, like um, it's, what's interesting is that uh, when I pitched Calamity Kate at Dark Horse, I pitched that as a what six five or six issue book Mm. and they gave me four issues and that meant that the story had to be really dramatically fussed with yeah to fit that space because i pitched them like four i'm like i have four here's like my ish for my six issue outline or however many issues it was and so realizing that i needed i needed to fit in four issues meant that i had to get extremely creative with how i used uh the form and so what I ended up doing was instead of basically the original story was going to be a lot more straightforward than it was. The four issues meant that I, I needed to start bringing in like elements of altered perception, elements of memory. I needed to <clears throat> give readers more information in more creative ways. Yeah. And I think it made a stranger, more interesting book for it. My editor, Daniel Chabon, compared it to John Cheever's The Swimmer at one point and I was like oh wow I have always loved that story and I, I saw the connection and I never would have written anything Cheever-esque mm. without that four issue limitation on that story and like more and more I'm really interested in the way we use time and space on the comic page it's been really satisfying and exciting getting to 
do work that I think pushes at that a little bit. So for something like Calamity Kate, um, even for something like Marilyn Manor, even for something like Attorney Girl, the characters are not reliable hmm. in a lot of really basic ways, and especially in something like Marilyn Manor, which obviously is the main thing we're talking about here. That's very much a book about, like I was talking about, attention, but that also makes it a book about being observed. And so what that allowed me to do is there's a lot of time where we pulled back from Marilyn and focus on people's perceptions of Marilyn. What that does is, uh, I think, it frees up plot space because I don't have to show Marilyn turning into something. I can show people that what I can have, how to put it, I can have observers showing the reader that that's what she's become right if that makes any sense it's a complicated book. <laughs> well that was going to be one of my things really because you you mentioned in the i think it's in the press release you said that this is the weirdest book you've ever written um and so i'm sat there having, yeah i'm sat there having read eternity girl and having you know read uh like even morning in america and things like that and thinking wow this is that's a bold claim because this is you know you you in america was that weird no i think i think it was um i think it tackled some interesting themes that that could have led down weird roads and i think it was it was something that kind of stuck there were so many many moments that kind of stuck with me throughout that book um but i mean eternity girl is you know is is a book that that kind of thrives in weird i think um eternity girl was also self-consciously weird yeah yeah like I, I made a point from the beginning that this was going to be a book in a lot of ways about shared perception, mm. you know, like that, that's kind of the thing is that she's experiencing two realities at once. And I really wanted readers to be questioning which one was real when of course the answer was both. That meant that there was a lot of, that, there was, that was a, that was a complex balancing act, but this is just, this is, this book's crazy. <laughs> Is that is that a result of you refining the the story and refining the idea and kind of you know being able to kind of get rid of the parts that didn't quite work for you and then filling that with with other ideas or was this was that weirdness ingrained in the story you know from the pitch onward? No, I, I don't know. Okay, well, there was weirdness from the get go because one of the main characters is a girl who's possessed by the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And that was that 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 was the. That was what convinced Shelley that this was the idea. She <laughs> yeah. was like, we're making this book. But I don't know. I think a lot of the weirdness of this book has been a lot of just kind of the result of me maturing as a writer and feeling more confident with my tools. Mm. So if you look at like the stuff I was doing a few years ago, like Kim and Kim, Quantum Teens, I was really starting, I really sort of like was uh, carving out a niche for myself as zany gay action comics. Yeah. And, but that was like really deliberate on my part because I didn't trust myself to do the weird abstract stuff that really fascinated me because I just didn't think I had the mastery over the form. And I didn't like, I have tried to write weird comics many times and they just weren't clicking, but I'm a really macabre, morbid person in reality. Like <laughs> I'm not a day glow punk rock, like in your face attitude kind of person like uh the way my earlier work was positioned and so working with Shelley and sort of this this really involved and often frustrating process of just carving this story out of a giant block of stone just piece by piece and and layer by layer I think gave me a lot of the confidence I needed to try these weird things. And like I was saying earlier, it was nice having Shelly there to catch me when I fell, when I did something that was completely off the wall and wasn't working. And sort of more and more, I, that's the kind of work I want to do. So this is like a start of almost like a, a new direction for you in a little, in a little I don't way. I really know about a new direction. Hmm. I guess, because I, I, I'm still... Well, let me give you, tell you another thing. There's a, another book <clears throat> that hasn't been announced yet that I'm working on, hmm. which is just kind of like a high school, like a goofy high school teenage drama, but it's also bizarre. But hmm. it's, I'm, what I'm interested in is, let's say that like you've got Grant Morrison doing Doom Patrol on one end of the spectrum 
right? And Grant yeah. Morrison doing uh, all-star Superman on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested in that. Where's the middle point between that? That's uh, that's an interesting like kind of space to play in, definitely, because there's there's like there's a lot of room between those two books, but at the same yeah, time, exactly. there's a there's a lot of cool um, like they, there's obviously like some cool themes that run between those two series as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. Like M Morrison at this point is probably I would say the most influential writer, my my, my most influential writer, I should mm. say, and I'm just so awed by the way he learned how to control what he was doing. Yeah. Like, look at his early Doom Patrol is weird for the sake of weird in a lot of places. And at times feels like it's obtuse for the sake of being obtuse. And I don't know if that's the case or if it's just a young writer who doesn't really have control over what he's doing yet. Yeah. And in the same way that, like, the, the first Kim and Kim is I don't really have control over the story the way that I wanted to. Um, and then by the time you get to, uh, all-star Superman, he's already gone through the invisibles. He's done something that's a little bit less overtly impenetrable, hmm. you know, he's been through like this whole corpus of his work. He's done his X-Men stuff, you know, and he's, he's refined his core weirdness into something that's approachable and the weirdness has been, re been replaced by mystery, like mystery in a religious sense. And that's what I'm trying to find because that's what's always fascinated me is mystery. And more and more, I want to find, well, what's that place where I can do mainstream appreciable stories? You know, people that like the story that anyone can read, but then what they'll find there is something a little more. <clears throat> What I feel about what I love about Morrison's work, because I'm I'm a huge Grant Morrison fan as well, and I think that what I love about his individual projects is that they all have their own identity, obviously. But the when you read, there's almost something autobiographical, as you say. There's something he leaves, he puts so much on the page of not just himself, but his own skills as a creator. That when you when you read his 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 works chronologically you see the evolution of him as a writer and you see the the themes that he's exploring that get dropped yeah. and picked up and and kind of explored and and kind of squeezed the life out of before he then moves on to something else but then picks it up years later in in, in other things you know exactly and i think i think you can actually really tr describe that evolution in early grant morrison dressing like an evil wizard and mm. modern grant morrison just being a guy in a t-shirt who has interesting things to say <laughs> yeah yeah like the pretension gets stripped away the 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 sort of like pretension is the wrong word <clears throat> but i guess the 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 self-conscious projection of a of an image mm. gets gets a little bit more stripped down he's He's less worried about saying I'm this kind of writer and just being the writer he is. Yeah. And that's fascinating to me. And I know that my career is much, much, much shorter. I've only been doing this professionally for about three years. But uh, I've just been trying to be more honest on the page about what I'm interested in saying and the kinds of things I want to do instead of just being like, well, that's not going to that's not going to fly, you know, basically stop self-censoring myself. I think that's that's one of the best lessons to to learn from or the best ways to be influenced by Morrison really is the is this idea of of fully exploring yourself by exploring the you know by exploring the the spaces that you're creating and I think that makes for a more honest a more um more relatable works as well because you know as you say like he he fully explored himself as a writer through through works like obviously you know literally because he was there in animal man but then also the self-insertion in in books like invisibles and things like that to the point now where he is he there is a certain there's a level of comfort with with how he's you know how he's settled into this kind of writer and, and words like comfort and settled sound sound oddly negative about it but at the same time i don't think they do i don't think they do yeah i think i think i think that makes sense because what you have as a as a writer maturing yeah into someone who has who is supremely confident in himself to the degree that he doesn't need to be 
deliberately transgressive. Like that the things he's going to say are interesting and the ways he's going to say them are interesting. And he doesn't need to like wave a big fucking flag about it anymore. Mm. And I think think you'll see that kind of autobiographical stuff in, 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 my work to a degree too. If you look like Eternity Girl is all is basically me wrestling with how do I convince myself not to kill myself on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah. You know, like what's that experience like for me? How do I resolve the question of is it better to live or die? Um, Calamity Kate is me wrestling with the extremely complicated and often self-blaming feelings of divorce. And the book, if you've read it, doesn't end in a happy place. No, but it does no. end in a place that has a future. Yeah. Um, and Marilyn Manor is about, ultimately, and this is something that, I, that, again, took me fucking eight scripts to figure out, <laughs> is that it's really a book about my complicated relationship with being even even remotely public figure. Mm. And the, the urge to, like, seek out attention to demand attention while at the same time, the way attention eats you, it's, it's, it's torturous, you know, it's, it's a very negative experience. Um, And I just kind of wanted to do a book about that kind of self-immolation where you're so hungry for eyes to be on you that in a way you set yourself on fire. And how did that, because, you, you know, I wanted to dig down into what you said, something, something you said earlier about the idea of, you know, this very kind of modern idea of social media as as this kind of, you know, burning light that shines on you almost. Um, how how challenging was that to, to, to explore that within the space of, you know, the era of like, it's 1981, the book set, isn't it? So how, how challenging was it to explore that in that era? You know, did you, did you find that that was... Well, instead of... Instead of social media, it's about cameras. There's the omnipresent lens in mm. this book. I guess because I didn't want it to be just about social media, that's just kind of, that's my experience of the fame monster. Yeah. Um, I just wanted it to be about what social media has done to my soul and the ways that it has, I think, hurt me. Yeah. Uh, often without my knowledge, which is something that I sort of ran into in a very dramatic fashion last week. I'm not going to get into that, mm-hmm. into that, but it really underlined for me how destructive it is having an audience constantly, how destructive that is as a person, because you just feel the need to feed that beast. Because otherwise they'll stop looking and you start to depend on the attention. And so Marilyn like, says very early on in the first issue, she's like, I, I know that no matter what I do, I'm just going to end up sitting on the board of some nonprofit or something. Mm. Like, she's like, this is the only time that anyone's paying attention to me. You know, she's she's self-consciously transgressive. She flips the bird to the camera during her dad's campaign events, stuff like that. Like, she's uh, <clears throat> she's the wild child, and she's the wild child not because she wants to break out of constraint, but because she likes the attention yeah. of being that. And she's terrified of losing that. And so this party is the burning pyre, you know, of of the fame monster. And the question is, is she going to fling herself on it or not at the end of the story? Hmm. Does it kill her or not? And because, like, I've seen, I've personally experienced the ways that, that attention can eat you alive, you know? Yeah. And I think we've, we've, we've seen just so many examples of that over the last few years on social media, but also going further back, we've, we've watched fame eat some of our brightest lights, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not exclusive to social media, is it? It's something that has, has played celebrity, you know, as it's become a part of being celebrity is that kind of idea of. But I think it's always been a part of celebrity, Mm. you know, like he's not as famous as Lincoln or Kennedy, but do you know how, you know how uh, William McKinley died? No, tell me. He, he was he was uh, he was our president in um, the very very end of the 19th century, very beginning of the 20th. Mm. Yeah, if I recall correctly, this guy just marched into the Oval Office and shot him. Wow. 
we talk about it as uh, have you heard the are you familiar with the phrase a parasocial relationship? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So being on the business end of a parasocial relationship is super weird. Like I love my fans. Mm. My fans are wonderful people, but it's weird having people know you, mm. you know, that you don't know. I've been recognized on the s- streets and subway platforms and at movie theaters. Um, <clears throat> just by fans who just, you know, want to say they, 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 they like my work. And I do appreciate that. I'm not saying people shouldn't do that. But it's just, it's it's weird to know there's more eyes on you than you know. Those parasocial relationships can turn really quickly. But you also, in a, in, a, in, a, in a weird way, come to depend on them for validation. To affirm that you're worth something. To overcome, you know, all the, the brain gremlins. Yeah. I guess I just, over time, this book became an exploration of how destructive that is. Which isn't what I set out to do. Again, it was going to be a screwball kids takeover book. <laughs> and, uh, that was like eight it, scripts uh, ago. Yeah, like, and that's what I think. To get back to Shelley, what is so great about Shelley is she drew this out of me. She didn't impose anything. She just helped me locate the what what in this story would resonate, you know, from you know would resonate from my chest. Yeah, you know. What are the th- what what are what are the ways I could add power to this? Mm. What makes this real and, and vital? Yeah, I want to work with her on every book I ever write forever. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, I think it's. I, I, I adore her. Yeah, I think that's what I mean. That sounds to me what is, is something that's that makes Marilyn Manor a, a more a more vital, a more urgent kind of read, really. And not just in the sense of it's it's kind of comment it's commentary on, on the time that we're living in, but also it, at this point in your career as well, I suppose, is just this idea of, you know, you seeing you explore this space. Well, um, I don't do commentary on the times we live in. Mm. You know? Um that's not what any of my work is. None of it is about that. Mm. Um all of it is about ultimately people experiencing something that is important to them. And there's kind of no way to avoid for those things to be important to me. And for them to be important to me, I have to find my own resonance with them. And uh, so this is about social media, but it's not about social media on like a societal level. Yeah, It's just about how I have found it to be really corrosive to just me as a person. I had this... Um, moment back in January when I was um, I was recovering from throat surgery so I couldn't talk and I um, I'm sorry I'm saying um so much <laughs> that's okay I, <laughs> I, I found so many so like so many ticks that I like my like when I, I speak about it. Yeah. but anyway so I was I couldn't talk for a month so I was spending even more time on Twitter than I already did because Twitter was a place I could speak fluently without mm. it feeling foreign yeah you know um, I could use Twitter normally the same way I had before the surgery when I couldn't talk and talking involved vague signings and using text-to-speech programs and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Um, And what I found was I kept on stirring up shit with uh, this harassment group that I'm not going to name. (laughs) And and all it did, I just noticed this after about a week or or two, I want to say, was that it just made me feel shitty. Hmm. That all I was doing was just trying to score imaginary internet points and get into frustrating arguments with people who were doing the same thing I was doing, that we were just performing anger at something. And that thing was each other. And I'm not saying that we weren't angry, but the point of these interactions that I was having with people, the point of me quote tweeting them was was just to validate myself. And I just got so... I got very aware that this was making me unhappy. And I was like, why am I doing this? I don't have to do any of this. Mm. And so it's just like, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not quote tweeting anyone. I'm not dunking on chumps. I'm not going to talk to these people. There's no response coming to me, coming from me to them. Um, I'm slowly adopting the rule that unless you're someone I personally know, you get one response and then I'm just not going to go move forward. Yeah. Um, 
because just, I just, social media is just insidious because it, it, it feeds a part of you that needs to be fed, but it, it, it takes something too. It, it feeds and starves you at the same time of that, of that feeling because it, yeah. it, it's like gambling in a way, a lot of ways, isn't it? You know, it, it gives you that high, but then also it takes so much from you, but in such subtle ways that you, you don't know how much you've lost until, until the daylight yeah. hits you, you know? It's, it's that moment you look around and realizing you're trying to find something to be angry about. Did you find Marilyn Manor to be quite a cathartic book to write then? Uh, in, in the way it's turned out, in the way that it's toward, the things toward, it's explored? Toward the, end, like, toward the end, I started to recognize what it was about. Hmm. Yeah, but um, like so much of what I write, I don't like clean, neat endings. Hmm. And I, I don't like people going in, being able to assume that everything is going to turn out okay at the end because that's not what anything's like. Yeah. And so I wanted to give this book an ending that made emotional sense to me for where I'm at. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't about catharsis. I, I do therapy on the page to an extent because I think every writer does. Mm. I think it's impossible not to unless you're just, yeah, actually I take that. Yeah. I just think it's impossible not to. Yeah. Um, Cause you're just writing about things that are on your mind and you're engaging with yourself in a really deep way. Even if you're writing like fucking, you know, talking puppy movie you're, you're <laughs> going to be a degree to it yeah. in your craft of it you're dealing with things that are real to you yeah um but it's not just it's not really about catharsis it's just about exploring those feelings and trying to communicate those feelings i want to give people an experience that reflects what i felt while work while writing it yeah well with like without kind of spoiling the end of, of the series or without kind of delving too much into, you know, how the, how the series ends, how, where do you feel like you are? Like, how do you feel like you've, you've come out the other side of, of Marilyn Manor as a, as a, as a writer, you know, or as, as your attitude towards that kind of aspect of, of uh, fame for want of a better word. Yeah. I've gotten a lot more skeptical of it and I've gotten a lot more concerned mm. about how I'm treating myself. Um, and I've been making, uh, with mixed, with mixed results, but I've been trying to make an effort to pull back more and more from social to just close my laptop or at least play, play a computer game. Mm. But I've just gotten really more focused on, I need, I need parts of my life that aren't for the audience. Yeah. And I'm just more and more trying to find, I guess not to find, but just, I guess to locate within myself the ways in which I, I deliberately dive in front of the camera so I can stop doing it as much Yeah, because it's, it's dangerous and it's hurtful and it has done me a lot of harm. Mm. And I guess that's probably like the most insidious thing is that this is what I wanted. <laughs> you know, it's like I sought this out. The, the career I have right now is the career I wanted. The Twitter following I have is the Twitter following I wanted the level of visibility I have is the level of visibility I want. And it's awful because I really just want to be able to sit down and, and write my comics and tell the stories I want to tell and honestly live my life the way I want to live it without it being fodder for the peanut gallery. Yeah. Because the peanut gallery was something that I used for a long time. I mean, that's the wrong way to put it, but I just mean like the audience, the capital A audience Mm is was was a, a measure of my own self-worth in much the way that Marilyn uses attention as her self-worth as what makes her a vital and important person and I guess just spending time with that and watching what it did to Marilyn over the course of this book because it's that's something that's very important as a for me at least for me as a writer is there's a degree to which I'm a spectator of these events as well yeah but watching that happen to her watching her her get sucked deeper and deeper into it in more and more terrifying ways i think taught me a lot about how i need to take care of myself with regard to this mm. and so that's like i'm doing fewer cons this year I, I did 10 last year i'm doing maybe five this year yeah. and I'm, I'm just trying to recognize that the spotlight burns yeah i think that's good as it, i think it's it's clearly healthy as well to because as you say putting the more you put out there the more you're 
seeking validation. Almost when you put that out there, you are seeking that validation in some sense. So the fact that you're not doing that means that the validation that you're getting is from a much more healthy and natural and normal source. Maybe it's just much, you know, maybe it's just me getting older. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm just uh, the, 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 the superficial parts of being a brand suck. Yeah. And it, it will, it will, it will, it will, it will consume you if you let it. And it sounds like Marilyn Man is a good um, exploration of the extreme, like following that to an extreme conclusion almost. I like, hope so. Mm. I hope so. That's not for me to say. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if I did a good job. I'll find out if people respond to it or they don't. Yeah. But that's, yeah, so that's out on the 26th of June uh, is the first ep- uh, issue, which is out um, tomorrow as uh, if people are listening to this on the day of release. Um, this uh, was a different conversation than I was expecting to have with you, but I'm, it's been absolutely wonderful uh, to talk to you about it and talk to you about Marilyn Manor. Well, just, be, just because we were going to have like another guest with us and we were going to kind of, um, you know, different, a different, slightly different format, but I've, I've enjoyed actually just... Um, just exploring an honest conversation with you about, you know, about your feelings, about where you are in your career and about where, you know, how this book has affected you and how your previous works has, has kind of helped you, helped you work through things and, and things like that. What I, what I love about you and your work is there's, there's always a through line of honesty with what you, with what you do. And I think it's been, um, it's been a great experience to actually sit and have that kind of, that kind of honesty with you as well, which is, which has been great. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I, uh, I always try to, probably to my detriment, wear my heart on my sleeve. <laughs> I, can, I can see why that would, you know, be a detriment in a lot of ways as well. But I'm, I'm, I'm heartened to know that you're, you know, you're, you're finding that balance with yourself as well, which is, which is so important. And I see so many people doing that now. Like the, the idea of an internet vacation is something that people do all the time around me. They're saying, right, I'm taking a week off from social media. I'm, I'm stepping back. I'm doing this. I'm seeing that so much more often. And frankly it's it, it's been a long time coming i think it's it's i'm glad that people are, are making that time to to set that kind of distance between them and, and and social media so am i and let me tell you something i never thought i'd be able to do yeah it's it's hard like i mean i just idly find myself just on my phone all the time so it's just like needing to step away from it is, is, is I, I deleted twitter from my phone i'm not putting it back yeah yeah i think that, that was like a momentous moment i was sitting with uh you know eric donovan Oh yes, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, he and I were getting lunch. Oh, I guess about a week and a half, week or so ago, and um, we were just talking about all of this because mm. this has been on my mind a ton lately. And uh, I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm doing it right now." Boop. <laughs> that's the only way to do it. Like rip off a bandaid. Yeah, it's it's got to be done yep. that way. I think that's the only way yep. I could do it. I think the more I think about it, the more I'd be like, "Oh yeah, but I know this. I know that. Yeah, no, just just get rid. Do it." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll um, I'll let you go. Uh, enjoy your evening. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, and I'll um, I'll speak to you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time. It's been lovely. Thank you. Speak to you again soon. Okay. That's the Issue is part of the Multiversity Comics podcast network. You can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter, at That's The Issue, and I'm on there too, at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at That's The Issue Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>